0: I've made choices. I've lost out. I've wished a thousand times I could go back and try again. It's hard not to imagine what might have been. If I had just stopped to think. If I had just done as I was told. If I hadn't thought I knew it all. Why didn't I just take a few deep breaths? took one second to listen. Maybe my life would be better. Maybe there wouldn't be such a high price to pay. Things would be different now. I wouldn't have so many regrets. But is everything lost? Can I just get a do-over? Is there a way back to new beginnings? Because regret can mean a new beginning. When it's given to the one who produces a repentance. A repentance that delivers me from my grief. The one who takes my mistakes. And somehow redeems me through them. Who tells me? I'm not the sum total of all my regrets. He tells me not to look back. Because there's nothing there to see. I am not my mistakes. He is faithful and just to forgive me. I just have to ask him. And then I can look straight forward. Forget what is behind him. And strain towards what is ahead. And walk away with all regrets erased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every day I'm given a clean slate. A clean slate? I get. A clean slate. Well, good morning, and we're so glad that you're with us. Welcome to Belong Church. I just want to look right into the camera and tell everybody that is watching us online we're so glad that you're here with us. You're an important person important part of our church, if I can talk right, and those listening on the podcast, those are around the world, it's always amazing to see all the different places that everyone is watching and listening from, and it's really, really amazing, and we love it when you guys send us a little note or tell us where you're listening or if you like something. We love all of those things, so please, I want to encourage you to continue doing those things. I love this bumper video talking about a clean slate and the different perspectives from the different people. And and, and there's a couple of things that just popped up in my mind as I was looking at it and regret and and things from our past trying to define us. And, And so many of us will look at those things and try and figure out. How do I move past them? And, and I love the four tenets that are our church. Number one is to know God, that that's the beginning, that's the, the foundation of everything that there is. And, and number two is to find freedom. And, and that really is what we're going to be talking about this morning, is the past and, and that, that's those things that are regrets, those things like the one gentleman says, I wish I'd have just taken a moment to breathe but sometimes we're so fast-paced in what we're doing that we don't breathe. We're so fast-paced in everything and hustling here to there and somewhere else that we don't take a moment, and we end up, oh, why didn't I just, and you can fill in the blank. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about success, and, and I came up with this saying that, that we've used the last two weeks about this, and, and it was really intended for that one service, and then the next service, it was just kind of there, and then again this week, it's there again. It's just kind of like folding into one another, but I want to suggest to you that my definition of success is succeeding every day in at least one thing to advance your vision, your dreams and your goals and as i said before this could sound so much like the um motivational speakers or you know someone you would go and pay money to hear them talk and try and rah 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 get you all cheerleaded up into doing your life and but it really comes down to the small sometimes inconsequential so we think things that we do in our lives I want to encourage you that the success is finding something every day that's going to push you just a little bit further down the road. But sometimes going further down the road, we have these hurdles, these stumbling blocks, and these roadblocks many times, and that is our past Last week we talked about an acorn and I keep using my old pinky finger because that's about how big the acorn is And I really should have found an acorn to have it here as a visual aid But you all know what an acorn looks like And God gives us a picture of a vision of our lives and we just get one part of it And many times it's that small seed that is in that acorn or another way we talked about it's like a puzzle piece that you look at it and you're like, man, I don't really know how this all fits together. And and from what I can see from this one piece or what I can see from this one little seed certainly is not enough. It isn't enough for me to understand. Therefore, how do I really run after that? I don't understand. We talked about last week that God sees the forest and you're the tree, but the only way you become a tree is when you plant the seed, when you plant the acorn. If you'll turn your Bibles, we're going to refresh this of scripture we used last week. In Matthew 6, 19, Jesus is talking about, but don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but stra- store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of those things happen. But this time, I want you to see, look, destroys thieves and steals. And as I was pondering that, it really brought me back to probably my number one scripture out of the Bible. If you've heard me talk any messages at all, if you've heard me talk one-on-one, then you've heard me bring up my favorite scripture, and that's John 10.10. And Jesus is talking here, and he says, The thief comes. Remember what we just saw of that previous scripture that if you store up your treasures on earth, that's where the the thieves are going to come. They're going to break in. They're going to steal, and they're going to rob from you. But Jesus says the thief comes to do that, to steal, kill, and destroy. But then he shows this entire other world that we can live in. He goes, but I, another translation says, I have come that you may have life, and have it to the full. And I so love that analogy and that word picture. is so amazing to me. Life to the full. So when you think about anxieties that are trying to choke you out, when you think about the things that are trying to pull you down or trying to be a roadblock and you say, how could I really experience that success that you're talking about? You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been in my past. You don't know those things that are preventing me from moving forward. May I suggest to you this morning that there is a difference in living for you and living for God. See, we talked about last week that we may find ourselves trying to be a self-made man, that we're going to say, hey, I did this all on my own. Look at how great I am. Man, nobody helped me out. I did this all by myself. And we can live our lives just trying to advance our goals. But when we change and transition from living in the world's economy, like we just saw in that scripture, Jesus is saying, if you try and build all that in yourself, Man, you're susceptible to having people rob from you, from stealing. The thief's going to come in because, man, if you plant in the kingdom of God, God says, I have a plan for you, and we talked about that two weeks ago. It's a great plan that I have for you. When you jump into God's plan and you start trying to advance his goals, his visions, then your life really comes together. You really can come alive. See, living for you, you're subject to the thieves. You're su- subject to stealing and, and, ro- and destroying and, and deteriorating rust and the, the moss coming in and just eating up everything you got. The, man, you thought this was all wonderful over here. And you realize it doesn't give you the satisfaction that you thought it would. You realize that a lot of things have ate at it. And when you go and think that there's more than there, you realize there's a lot missing. We looked also last week at Luke chapter 12. Jesus was talking this parable and we we we're, uh, we're just going to de- delve into this a little bit differently this week. But he says there's a there's a man who's re The land of a man was very productive in verse 17. And he began reasoning himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store my goods. Verse 20, But the Lord said, But God said to him, You fool this very night. Your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you've prepared? And we went into this a great deal last week, but I want us to look more at verse 21 tonight so is the man who stores up treasure for himself. In other words, you put all of your effort, you live for yourself, it's all about you, baby. Look at that last part. Is not rich towards God. Verse 21 says, so is the man who treasures up for himself. It is not rich towards God. When I re-saw that, that grieved my heart. It broke my heart to think about someone that puts all their life days, puts all their success building on themselves, and at the end, when it's the day that's their last day on earth, God says, "You're not rich." towards me. You missed it when it came to my plans for you. What a terrible thought. Can I tell you there's a significant difference between being a self-made man versus being a god-made man or woman, of course. We looked last week a little bit at Peter, but I want us to dig a little bit deeper and dive a little bit deeper into this in Galatians 2 Verse 9, it says in James and Cephas, who's Peter, um, Jesus renamed him, we'll see that in just a minute, Peter, that was his name that Jesus gave him in John. These are the esteemed pillars. This is in Galatians. This is written much later after Jesus has died and gone on. They're described, Peter is described as a pillar. One of the things that's holding up the church of God How is that even possible? We looked last week at the terrible mistakes that he did and and how Jesus warned him. And if you didn't hear that message, you can go watch it on our YouTube channel or listen to it on our podcast. You can listen to all that. You can find it. And we dug so deep into that. How did Peter end up labeled and named as one of the pillars of the church? In John chapter 1, we see in verse 40 where Peter came on the scene. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who'd heard what John had said, John the Baptist, and who had followed Jesus. So he's one of the first people to jump on board with Jesus says, man, I'm going to be there with you. And the first thing Andrew did, verse 41, was find his brother Simon, who later becomes Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah. For thousands of years, our entire culture has been trying to find who the Messiah is, and we've heard he's coming. Man, we found him. Man, it's, this is it. That is the Christ. Verse 42 And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, but you will now be called Cephas, which is translated. Peter. So when you see that Cephas is one of the pillars, that's what Jesus called him, but it's translated that we see it in other places as Peter. There's another place, a few, um, Places right after that chapters after that in Luke chapter 5 verse 1. We're not going to look at that. But Jesus is out there with them and he's using Peter's boats to preach off of. And he says, Hey, I know you need to catch a harvest. So go back out there. And they said, Jesus, we toiled all night long. There's nothing. There's nothing going on out there. He goes, Hey, go back out there. Sit of throwing it on this side, throw it on the other side. And they're like, You're a preacher. What do you know about fishing? This is making sense. And even your 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 trade that you learned growing up is carpentry. It isn't fishing but yeah, we'll do it. at your thing. And you may have heard the story. The, the fish was so great. The haul the was so amazing. Even though they hadn't caught nothing all night long, the haul was so amazing that their boat was about to sink and they called somebody else. And Peter's eyes were open and he goes, oh my gosh, who is this man? In Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, we start. And I'm reading a bunch of Scripture this week, and Michael actually dinged me on it. He goes, man, I think this is the most Scripture we've ever had to have in a service. It's a good thing I'm watching my time, so we'll end up on time. But but I want you to see the story that's painted in the Scripture. And I don't want it to just be me talking, but I want you to get it. Verse 23, and after he dismissed him, he went up on the mountainside, Jesus this is, by himself to pray, and later that night, he was alone. He was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, and it was buffeted by the waves, and I just want to pause there for a second, and and just think about you, and me, and we have different things that are going, and we feel buffeted by the waves of life and we feel that all of this stuff is just coming, man, it's maybe not to the point that I think I'm going to die, but it's pretty rough. It's pretty, it's pretty bad, and man, I, I just wish I could just let some of the stress go. Continues, because the wind was against it. You ever felt like people are against you? That all of life is against you? continue on. Jesus said, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them and walked on the lake. So he's trying to make up time. He's been over there praying, and rather than get in a boat and spend the time, he just gets on the on the lake and starts walking. And when the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and and cried out with fear. And, And have you ever been around somebody, and you can't explain it, and your first initial response is, ah! And you just think of something that's so like so dramatic. I mean, who would have thought it's a ghost? I mean, if you stop to think about it for a little bit, you just saw all these miracles that Jesus has done, wouldn't you think? Yeah, that's Jesus probably walking on the water. You wouldn't think it's a ghost, but we immediately jump on there. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, hold on guys, it's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter, of course, we looked at last week, Peter's just always out there, just the first one to, to run his mouth. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, Jesus just said it's me. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus replied, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind and he was afraid and he began sinking, he cried out, Lord, save me. Can I suggest to you, we have those same things today. When we see the rain, when we see the wind, we become afraid. See, there's a progression there. He took his eyes off of Jesus, and he began to realize not that I'm walking on the water with Jesus. This is amazing. He was hold on, there's wind out here. Whoa, there's water hitting me on my legs. and, And all of a sudden, this fear just started rising up inside of him, just like it happens to me. When he got his eyes off of Jesus onto the waves and the wind, he began to sink. But he knew enough to call out to God. Immediately, verse 31, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And I don't think he was necessarily scolding him as much as he was like saying, Hey, you can do better. You have this. You should should have this mastered by now. But Peter has got all of these things that he's just, he's the first one, he's the only one that got out of the boat. That's pretty amazing. We can criticize him for doubting, we can criticize him for getting afraid, but he's the only one that got out of the boat and walked on the water with Jesus. But Peter was always out there, just the first guy out. When Jesus was arrested, and was about to be led into the to crucifixion, he, crucifixion, he was in the garden. In John chapter 18, starting with verse 4, and Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? That is to the army and the 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 temple guards that all came there so this huge entourage would be like today the SWAT team showing up and just surrounding the whole area and they got everything there and they're trying you know they're ready for this huge fight and Jesus says hey I know what's going on but who is it you want and they replied Jesus of Nazareth he says I am he and Judas the traitor was standing there with him. And Jesus said, verse 6, I am he. And they, they drew back and they fell to the ground. <laughs> I love that. The power of Jesus speaking, I am he, knocked them back. And they fell to the ground. This whole entourage is trying to take Jesus. And he said again, verse 7, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus said, I told you I am he. If you're looking for me, then let all these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled, that I've not lost one of you that, God, that you've given me. Let me just tell you right there as a sidebar, God is not going to lose you. He's not going to let something happen to you when you get inside of him. Look at Peter in verse 10. Then Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Peter sitting there going no I can't let this happen Jesus we can't let you be caught we can't let this happen and I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen instead of really understanding and listening to what Jesus had already said he goes no and I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen Rather than taking cues off of Jesus and God giving him direction, he's like, I'm going to do this on my own. He pulled out his sword, and he went over and he took off the ear. He's ready to fight. He's ready to do this in his own strength. But do you remember what the first thing his brother told him when he brought him to Jesus We found the Messiah. This is it. This is finally it for all the ages and all the years that we've all been looking for. He's here. This is him. He's like, man, I'm not going to let this slip out of my hands. But he didn't understand. See, Jesus had already told him. Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I want you to think about that for a second. Here Peter is ready to fight to the death to protect Jesus. And Jesus is saying, put your sword away. Isn't it right that I follow through with the path, the plan that my Father has laid out in front of me? Shall I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? If you'll recall, Jesus had just prayed, Lord, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, I don't want to do this. My flesh is really worried about this, and, and it's going to be painful. It's going to cost me my life and if there's any other way. And see, Jesus had come to grips with it, but Peter hadn't. But Jesus had already told them. Remember, let's recall, in Matthew 16, Jesus is with everybody. And he asks them, he goes, hey, who do people say that I am? And we talked about this last week as well. And everybody says, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this one. And and he says, who do you say I am? And and so we're having this whole conversation, and and Jesus commends Peter. But then Jesus went on to explain to them what was going to happen. Look at this in verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus just got through telling them that this is what God has for him. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. See, Jesus had already laid this all out to all the disciples, specifically Peter, And he laid it all out and said, hey, this is what my father's plan is for me, guys. I want you not to be caught unaware. I want you to understand Jesus began to explain it all. Look at verse 22. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Look at this. And you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but mere human concerns. Look at that. You don't have the mind of God. You don't have in your mind what's concerning God, but merely human. Can I say it another way? It's like what we've already been talking about the last few weeks. You can live for yourself and have mere human concerns. But here he's telling Peter, you don't have the mind, the concerns of God. You don't understand, Peter, the plans that God has. And he went on to explain it to him, and Peter still lost it in the garden, pulled out his sword, and took the guy's ear off. And you know the rest of the story, and you can go read it in in the Bible. But Jesus went over and reattached the man's ear and healed the man right then and there and then permitted himself to be led away. See, there is a great difference between having the concerns of God and having mere concerns. Human concerns. If you're nothing else today, if you write nothing else in your notepad, I want you to really put big circles around this one. Am I following through and understanding the concerns of God or mere human concerns? Jesus, as we looked at last week, told Peter, you're going to deny me three times, Peter, and I'm praying for you because the enemy's trying to take you out. Here's in detail where it happened. In John 18 starting with verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were, with, were following with Jesus because this disciple, John, is speaking here, this disciple is how he refers to himself, was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus. John had a reputation that he was able to go in. They all knew who he was. He went in with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door because they didn't know who he was. Then another disciple who was also known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty and brought Peter in. And she said to him, "You aren't one of these man's disciples, too, are you?" And he replied, "Oh no, not me. I am not." And it was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they'd made to keep warm. This is believed to have been around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. They did this in the middle of the night to avoid this huge, huge controversy with all the people. In Luke 22, we pick up the same story in verse 55. And when there had been some kindle in a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with him, and a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him speaking of jesus and he denied it said woman i don't know him and a little later verse 58 someone else saw him and said you are one of them he goes man i am not peter replied and about an hour later another asserted certainly this fellow was with them for he is a galilean verse 60 and peter replied man i do not know what you're talking about and just as he was speaking the rooster crowed We looked at this last week. Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words. See, Peter got so far out there in thinking he knew what it was supposed to be. He didn't have the concerns of God. He had mere human concerns. But when Jesus made eye contact with him, it all came flooding in. And he went outside, verse 62, and wept bitterly. We looked at last week that this would be the most ridiculous story in today's society, that we would never allow Peter anything. He would be the last person we'd ever pick. But in Acts chapter 2, we saw last week that Peter was the guy that got up, and he's the spokesman for all of them. But look at this. In Acts chapter 5, verse 27, the disciples were brought in and made to appear appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priests. And they said, we gave you strict orders not to preach in this name, in the name of Jesus. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. The high priests, the Sanhedrin, are all coming after him and saying, hey, listen, all of you disciples better cut it out. But you haven't cut it out and it's like you're trying to incriminate us. Verse 29. Peter and the other disciples replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now isn't it amazing that Jesus just talked to Peter just a few weeks before when Peter's trying to to describe to Jesus, no, 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 this isn't how this should play out. And Jesus said to him, Peter, you don't have the concerns of God. You have mere human concerns. Something has transferred and transformed in Peter that now he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin and if he was still in the same mindset that he had been with Jesus, he probably would have cowered back. But now he rises up and says, we must obey God rather than human beings. In other words, Peter's saying, I finally got what Jesus was saying, and my concerns are not with mere human concerns any longer. I've transferred, and my concerns are to obey God. My concerns are what God's concerns are. Another person to look at when it comes to a past is the Apostle Paul. Originally, he was named Saul. Saul. And his appearance were Pharisees, fervent Jewish nationalists who adhered strictly to the law of Moses and who sought to protect their children from the contamination of the Gentiles. So he's an elite. He's an uppity up. His nose is there and he's never around anybody because they didn't want him to be contaminated. He could speak Greek and passable Latin. His household would have spoken Aramaic in a derivative of Hebrew, which was the official language of Judea. Saul's family were Roman citizens, but viewed Jerusalem as a truly sacred and holy city. At age 13, Saul was sent to Palestine to learn from a rabbi named Gamaliel, or however you say that, I don't know how you say that, who under Saul's mastered Jewish history, the Psalms, and the works of the prophets. Saul went on to become a lawyer, and all signs point to him becoming a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court of 71 men who ruled over Jewish life and religion. See, Paul, who was then, before Jesus changed his name, was Saul, was present when Peter was being questioned with the other disciples. He was there in the Sanhedrin when they're saying, hey, we told you not to do this, and they're saying, hey, my concerns are no longer about mere humans, but my concerns are about God. We must obey God, not you. He heard Peter's convictions. Look at this in Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 54. Stephen was one of the disciples that was following through and very zealous and winning people, and they got really, really upset with him because he wouldn't stop it. Verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin, remember Saul or Paul, was a part of them, heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, and I just love that, in the middle of all of this story, full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine a, a greater... Uh, a, a, Description of you to be said in writing, man, full of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's my goal. That, that's something to attain to. Looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it just as a pause, it says in the word of God that Jesus, after he died and was buried and resurrected to heaven, he seated at the right hand of God. And Stephen saw him standing. So Jesus was so concerned what was going on with Stephen that he stood up to look down and view that. And he says, look, verse 56, I see heaven open and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. Verse 27. At this they covered their ears and yelled at him to the top of their voices and they all rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet... Of the ma- young man named Saul. In other words, have you ever seen a bar fight or somebody's about to get into a fight and they're going to take off their jacket, they're going to take off their shirt sometimes, and they're going to like they're they're getting ready to go kill Stephen and they're taking off their clothes, getting ready to go fight. And They're like, "Here, Saul, hold on to this." Saul becomes Paul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, "Lord Jesus." Receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Look at the next verse. And Saul approved of their killing him. Saul was the official that was there present. He gave the stamp of approval for them to kill Stephen. Stephen. Stephen's last words were God don't hold them accountable don't hold this sin that they've missed it by killing me they've missed it because the words I'm saying are life to them if they hear it but God don't let that hold that back on them he's talking about Saul continues on and on that day a great persecution broke out against the church and all accepted apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria Verse 3, but Paul, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Saul is so zealous because he thinks that they're out there. He thinks that they're completely contrary to the word and the way he was brought up to understand religion. Paul, Saul, was a very religious man. Can I tell you, when I was traveling years ago, went to Russia. We went to Denmark, Sweden, Finland, and the Soviet Union before the wall fell. And it was crazy because we had to go in as tourists, and, and we got to go in, and, and we got to do some ministry, but it was all had to be undercover. And when we first got there, we had an underground missionary who was going to be our contact. And I was the group leader, so I'm the one he met with. And when he came there, he, he met us at the train station, and he was kind of like, you know, just like, just paying. You know, it was like something you'd see in a spy movie. He's just kind of staring out the window and just kind of like looking at me. And I'm like, hey, are you? And he's like, hey, are you? You know, and then he's like, okay, I'll meet you at the hotel. So we get to the hotel. We get all settled. And he he comes up and knocks on my door. And he says, hey, we want to take you. And, and our whole purpose is not just to be there for sightseeing. Our whole purpose was there. We brought Bibles in for the, the underground church. And we wanted to visit them and encourage them. and We wanted to minister to them and sing and worship with them. And so he took us, and I, it, was, it was the craziest experience of my life. We went to the subways, and it was just like you would see in a spy movie. that We would wait till the doors were just about to close. We would all jump on there, and then we would zip, 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 zip. zip. We would get off, and we would do this back and forth because we were trying to lose the tails, the people that were following us. Exciting and exhilarating and not really understanding the fullness of what we were doing. We end up at the missionary's house, and as I'm sitting on the couch, and I'll never forget this. He goes, hey, I want you to play this, this really cool American music that I've got, and I'm like, that is the last thing I want to hear. And he went over, and he turned the stereo up super loud, super, super loud, the kind that's going to raise all your neighbor's awareness and have them come beat on your door loud kind of thing, and I'm like, what in the world are you doing? And then he got really close to me, sitting on this super crowded um, couch. We're like all crammed in here together. He goes, I apologize for my wife being nervous. And I, and I realized she had been very nervous and, and almost rude. He goes, You don't, what you don't understand is it's against the law for me to be a missionary here. But every day I go out to witness on the street, my wife doesn't know if I'm coming home. Three times, in fact, I was taken and she didn't know where I was the first time for nine months. She didn't know just one day I was gone. I didn't come home. He goes, very frequently they'll bust our door down and drag me out in the middle of the night. He goes, so your presence here makes her very, very nervous. they went on to take us to the underground churches and and we were in living rooms and I can still visualize it in my mind. And I can see that we were there and we're worshiping and we're giving them Bibles and, and we're finishing up. He goes, okay, you ready? Let's go to the next one. And they're making phone calls and we're taking, you know, the transportation over to the next place and we kept going all night long He goes hey whenever you're tired i'm like no we we will stay up as late as we can because we've only got three days and we came here to be a blessing to you but you see this is what saul was doing he was going and grabbing people out of their houses if they're part of that church but in acts chapter 9 starting with verse 1 meanwhile saul was still breathing murderous threats against the lord's disciple and he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way and i highlighted the way because that's what the early church was called it was called the way it wasn't the new testament church it wasn't that was what they called it was the way that was the movement. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You see, Paul, Saul had not persecuted Jesus. He was persecuting all the people who were following Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when somebody can cause this great bright light to come down and knock you off of your horse, and you're down on the ground, you're going to say, and he's talking to you, why are you persecuting me? His response is, who are you, Lord? He recognized the superior nature to who he was, to who Saul was. Look at it, it says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He went on to tell him, but I've called you for a purpose. You're going to be blind for a little bit, but I want you to go and pray and wait in this city because I'm going to send somebody to you. Paul's day changed that moment. Where he was going to really ramp it up, he had an encounter with Jesus. But now God then talks to Ananias and tells him that this is happening. And we'll see in verse 9, verse 13, Ananias is responding. says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name, which would have included Ananias, by the way. And the Lord said to Ananias, go, go to him. This man it's my chosen instrument. Pause. Think about that. He had just authorized the killing of Stephen. He was ripping people out of their homes in the middle of the night, both men and women, and imprisoning them. And he's going after them. Some of them were being murdered and all this stuff. And God's words, Jesus' words to Ananias is, this man is my chosen instrument. Mind-blowing. Don't you think God could have found somebody else? Don't you think he could have found somebody else who wasn't a former persecutor? He continues on. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So he went. He obeyed. It says in Acts 9, verse 19. So Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at the transformation that happened overnight. Everybody knows who Saul is that he's coming to persecute. He's got letters from the chief priests. He's he's the top guy. Now all of a sudden he's in there preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. What a transformation. And all those who heard him were astonished and said, isn't he the man who has raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his, this name? And, and hasn't he come here to take them prisoners at the, to the chief priests? See, this life change happened in Saul. And Jesus renamed him Paul. Verse 26, he went back to Jerusalem, and when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Paul continues his life with this transformation that has happened inside of him. And we see two different examples where he sums up his life. In 1 Timothy, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. First chapter 1 verse 12 he says, "I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service." See, Jesus saw Paul as trustworthy before he was trustworthy. Jesus saw Paul worthy to be appointed to this, that he was the man anointed for this position before he ever should have been. By our standards, we would never, ever allow him to do this. He continues on. For though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Verse 14 The grace of our Lord. We sang that song today. Your grace is enough. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And look at those three words that are underlined. Grace, faith, and love. Continues on. And here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save Sinners, of whom I'm the worst. See, he shows this great paradox that Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He was certainly worthy of being condemned. Jesus didn't come to take Paul out because he is persecuting. He came and says, I see beyond your faults. I see beyond everything you're doing out of ignorance out of not knowing. And even though you would say you're the worst, I've chosen you. Someone's hearing me right now. I want you to hear what I'm saying. You think you may be the worst person. You may say, but there's all these things that I did. No, God knew all of those things. And he still did not come to judge you, but to accept you to say, all those things, we're going to wipe away. Verse 16, for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. Can I tell you, we are still in this season, this era of Christ's immense patience. He's still there waiting for you me continues on as an example to those who would believe in him and receive eternal life the whole message of salvation is wrapped up in those two verses honestly that christ didn't come to settle the score with all the things you've done wrong all the places you've missed it but to show you he's immensely patient in in order to offer you eternal life. Best put, Paul wrote in Philippians 3, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold. And he's like, man, I haven't arrived. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Heavenward in Christ Jesus. Will you bow your heads? See, Paul, at the end of his life, when he's writing these things to sum up his life, is saying, you need to forget what's behind you and strain, lean into what is in front of you. He says, I press on. I told you the success definition that I have is continuing every day to do one thing. Press on. Strain towards that thing. Put intentionality towards that which is called for your life. But I want to take you back to the words of Jesus. Are your concerns mere human concerns? Or the things that concern god are you putting all your efforts into this kingdom that is you the self-made man where where moths and rust will destroy and thieves will come in and take it out or are you putting it into heaven where none of that stuff can touch where do you find yourself this morning where do you find yourself right now what messes have you made Where do you think you've gone too far? You've missed it too much. God has not given up on you like he didn't give up on Paul, like he didn't give up on Peter, like he didn't give up on Kevin. He hasn't given up on you. Today I want to invite you to let him come inside your life, to receive eternal life. Or maybe it's time for you to come back. Maybe you once walked with him and for whatever reason, you kind of strayed away. If that's you this morning, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. Simply say this. Say, Jesus, I've tried to do it on my own. And I've made some mistakes. My life is a mess and I need you. I invite you to come live inside of me Save me and change me. Today, I'm changing my mind. I'm choosing to transfer my trust to you and not what I've always done or thought. I choose to trust what your word says. I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, I pray for everyone who prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe for another time, maybe a 10th time or a 20th time or a 500th time. Lord, I know that all of heaven is rejoicing with everyone that comes to you. Father, I pray that we will all recognize and see the facts that you're not up there looking to throw lightning bolts at us, to take us out, to, to cause our, our ground to go out from underneath us, but you're there extending your love and forgiveness in eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as we've gone over a few minutes this morning, I just want to encourage you to to take the next step. And if you will, Michael's already told you that we communicate through text as a church. And that number is 469-289-1114. And you'll see it at the bottom of your screen. If you made that decision today, I want you simply to text the word next to that number, 469-289-1114. And we want to know what's going on. We want to hear your testimony. We want to hear your, your, your experiences and, and what God is revealing to you. And we want to encourage you to invite somebody to join you next week. And to, maybe it's listening on the podcast together. Or maybe it's, you're going to send them the link that they can listen to it alone. Or as they're driving down the car, you're going to get them together. and You're going to watch the stream together. Whatever it is, invite somebody to take this journey with you. And lastly, for those of you who are interested in being a part of our financial stability as a church, you can go to givetobelong.com, and that is the way that you can um, be a part of our financial success here. If you will, stand to your feet, everyone, and we're going to pray and be dismissed. Father God, I just thank you for this message this morning. Lord, I thank you that Jesus came not to condemn us, but he came to show immense patience that he came to show us that there's eternal life and we can be free from our past lord i speak a blessing over everyone who made that next step this week father i speak a blessing over every prayer request that have come in and all the connection cards that have come in lord and lord everyone who's paid tithes and offerings this week and supported the church financially i stand in the office of a pastor and i speak a blessing that is your blessing Lord, may we be more concerned with your concerns than, as Jesus said, mere human concerns. Lord, let your kingdom come in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.